0: to another episode of Data Science at Home. I'm Francesco, podcasting from Leuven, Belgium. I'm uh, very glad to have you here on the show and to be part of your commute. What, what did I say? Did I say commute? There should be no commute in this period. Stay home, stay safe, as many are saying. It's the only weapon that we have against this damn bloody virus. And take this period as an opportunity to learn something new, listen to podcasts, not just this one, but uh, the many other amazing shows that are on the internet and learn something new, program new things, think about your life, organize your future, think about your family. There are so many things to do. And probably this COVID-19 has been kind of a sign that we should just slow down and take the time for, for doing all the other things that we have been sacrificing in the years. Uh, I, at least this is the way I look at it. With this said, let's go to the show because this episode is going to be a bit technical, though I will make sure that it will be as always self-contained. So all the information that you need to know, in order to understand what I'm going to explain in this episode is contained in the episode itself. The topic of the day is about deep learning, but more specifically activation functions. And the reason I chose this topic is because, in fact, it's one of the most widely used components of, uh, of deep neural networks. Many of us have been using this and still use this every day. Uh, many of us don't even realize how simple the mathematics behind this uh, apparently complex objects is and also the fact that um, uh, these activation functions are used for you know across domains so it doesn't really matter what type of predictions we are performing whenever you are dealing with neural network you are also dealing with activation functions now activation functions are uh, characterized by a very rich literature is still uh, an open research problem because there are so many flavors so many different method methodologies and uh, each of those have a different, you know, pros and cons. And uh, of course, uh, we um, I will do my uh, my best to explain you what is better than, than what and why. So in particular to this episode, I would like to focus on uh, the ReLU. Uh, or Rectified Linear Unit Activation Function, and another approach that has been recently published on a very interesting paper, as always, reporting to the show notes of the episode, which goes under the name of Dynamic relu this episode is supported by primal.io P-R-Y-M-L.io. primal is uh, my new venture i'm uh, working personally on this together with uh, dan gerricks and um, chiara tonini uh, and many others out there and we are building amazing technology that allows data owners share data without disclosing it So think about companies who have confidential data they need to share with third parties, but of course they can't because, you know, it's confidential. And so how would they go by sharing this data, but not disclosing it? As you can understand, it's kind of tricky or counterintuitive to, you know, Digest the fact that someone is sharing data without disclosing, and well, that's exactly what we are doing. We are not using encryption; uh, we are using a form of synthetization and many other things that I'm not going to bother you with in the uh, in the episode. If you want to know more about Primal P R Y M L dot I just said it. Just go to the website. We haven't launched, but we will very soon. And so please go to the web page and leave your email, and you will definitely be notified as soon as we launch. This was Primal, dot Now let's get back to the show. Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco gadaletta You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. So, the subject of this episode is going to be, as I said, about activation functions, and in particular, RELU, or uh, uh, Rectified Linear Units. There is a lot of literature around the RELU, so let me tell you what it is. Well, RELU is a linear activation function. In fact, it's a piecewise linear activation function. Piecewise means that um, it's uh, composed by pieces of, uh, you know, straight lines. And so once you compose these things, we can get something that is a bit more complex than just a straight line. But in fact, that's what the relo is. That's why it's called rectified linear unit because it's indeed linear. Now, why are we obsessed by linearities? It's because... They are easy to understand, but they are also easy to compute. And so this means that uh, when you have in front of you some cheap computation, that is no complicated math, it means that the model can usually be trained in much less time and much faster from regular hardware and, of course, also by GPUs. Another uh, nice property of the RELU is that it converges faster. So, this linearity means that the slope doesn't go to a plateau, as you have seen probably with uh, hyperbolic tangent or sigmoids. And, you know, the plateau is that curve that saturates until limit, so-called upper bound limit, when x, which is the input, gets larger and larger. And so, by not saturating, it means that the uh, gradient are always positive and so they always define a direction that the SGD the stochastic gradient descent is going to follow and which means that the gradient never saturate and which means that in turns the network trains or converges much faster than another activation function. The third mathematical property, of course, is the so-called sparsely activation. So this is a very interesting property. When you hear about sparse data or sparse parameters, it's really not the same thing. Because when you have heard probably about sparse data, you get, you know, shocked by the fact that oh my god my data is sparse it means that if i have to do some sort of matrix calculation i will waste a lot of time doing doing things for just a few cells in the matrix because all the others are zero it's nothing like that right so sparse data sparsity is bad model sparsity is good (laughs) you know why it's because when data are sparse, it means that the regular calculations will be performed over all the data while it was not really necessary because the data were sparse indeed. But in case of sparse hyperparameters or sparse parameters of the model, that's actually a good property because it means that you have less things to calculate. And so the ReLU is a mathematical object that is indeed sparsely activated. So that's a very good thing to have why do we even have activation functions in neural networks? Well, the mechanism of a neural network is relatively simple. A neural network is formed by a number of neurons, and these neurons are connected directly. Some of them in the first layer are connected to the input, which is the images that you're trying to classify, as well as the numerical input data that you're trying to perform a prediction on, and so on. This is the input. Now, there is a first layer that is directly connected to the input, and then all the other layers that are connected to themselves in a fully connected fashion or in other flavors, in other architectural ways. Doesn't really matter because the basic unit of the neural network is, in fact, the uh, neuron and inside the neuron if you zoom in there is this function that is the activation function that basically enables the neuron with one particular property the neuron will shoot an output given a certain input according to that activation function indeed the neuron will say will activate along the activation function that has been implemented on the particular neuron. And so if this function is, for example, a sigmoid, it means that it's um, a mathematical function that will receive as input a particular uh, value vector, whatever it is, and will output something that is between 0 and 1 because that's exactly what the sigmoid does. And so, as you can see, the sigmoid is a curve that will saturate um, after a certain uh, amount, a certain value. And basically, that means that as x, the input, increases and becomes larger and larger, the output, the y of the neuron, uh, output, of course, of the sigmoid function, will always be 1. And so that's where we say it saturates to an upper bound. Now this doesn't happen with the ReLU because the ReLU is a linear function that is always zero for any input that is negative, up to the zero, and then it starts growing linearly in proportion to the input and in a linear way. So that's why when you want to represent the ReLU activation function as a mathematical formula. What you usually write is that y, which is the output of the activation function, is equal to the max between 0 and x, where x is, of course, the input vector. So it always takes the maximum given the input. Now, when you look at this, what happens is that, as you can see, you know, the real is always the same for any input, which means that it's something that is static, and so this slope of the uh, of the linear piece of this function is always the same, right? Uh, in fact, it doesn't change given the input. And that's one of the reasons why this is super fast, because indeed, it's applied over and over to any type of input, and um, it's always the same. And so it's a very simple calculation. The work that I'm going to discuss in this episode takes kind of a distance from this simplistic way of looking at the activation function and introduces what they call the dynamic ReLU, which of course the name already tells you enough. It's a ReLU on steroids because it's a ReLU that can change according to the input. And the slope of this linear function is not always the same, but it also depends on another set of parameters. This of course is something that probably, as indeed will be shown in the course of the episode and on the paper reporting the show notes of this episode, it's a bit more complex than just a linear function. It's still a linear function, but it depends on some parameters that need to be tuned or learned from the data themselves. And so this is an additional step that a, a neural network has to do during training But as we will see, it's a negligible amount of computation, uh, at least compared to the uh, increase of accuracy and of uh, uh, training performance that we can get just by this simple change. Of course, there is a very rich literature when it comes to activation functions and more specifically to the ReLU function, the ReLU activation function. There is a lot of literature and you can find on the web a lot of flavors that have been proposed and studied by practitioners and researchers, they all follow the same school of thought of uh, uh, introducing non-linearity during training process. And also the different flavors of RILU try to cope with one particular downside of the ReLU, which is the fact that it's not a smooth function. And so there are computational problems there when you're calculating derivatives or gradients. And so there have been some researchers who have been changing, modifying the standard ReLU into something that is smoother than, than the ReLU itself. There have been a lot of flavors. I don't want to uh, report them in this episode also because I personally find it difficult to explain all the possible flavors. But in the show notes of the episode, I will report at least the references to the most widely used flavors of uh, ReLU activation functions. Let's go back to the dynamic ReLU approach, which I find very interesting for uh, one particular reason. because it doesn't increase the depth or the width of the network. So it's something that is extremely interesting because the network complexity is not touched. The architecture stays exactly the same, whatever the architecture you have defined in your prototype. And so if you think about, uh, you know, number of layers, number of neurons, or the way the neurons are connected to each other, all this is not really affected. And so if you have a rocking solid neural network architecture that you have prototyped and you have tested already. If you want to try dynamic ReLU, it's just a matter of changing the activation function of the neurons that you already set for your network. You don't have to change the architecture of the network, which is great. Um, So that's the first thing. And the second reason is that it increases model capability with negligible extra computational cost. This is another very interesting property that is worth considering whenever you want to switch from the traditional ReLU or the leaky ReLU to the dynamic ReLU. So let's discuss what is the magic behind, if I can call it magic, behind dynamic activation. Well, for a given input vector or tensor, if you're dealing with tensors, uh, let's call it X as always. The dynamic activation is defined as a function with some learnable parameters, let's call them theta, that depend on x. And so, this theta of x, as you as we can already understand, are learnable parameters that adapt to the input x. So, there are two major components that form the dynamic activation relu, which is the hyperfunction, this theta of x, that computes the parameters for the activation function. And then there is the activation function itself. And so the regular f of x, which in this case will not be just f of x, that's always the same as is the case of ReLU, but it's something that depends on the hyperparameters that you have just learned. And so it's an f of theta of x, right? And this computes the activation for the input that depends on the parameters that you learned from the input itself. And so it's kind of uh, weird to think that the input contributes not only to the activation function, but also to some kind of the shape of the activation function. This double dependence is in fact the magic behind the dynamic riddle, because it means that while the ReLU was just returning the maximum between zero and x, where x is the input vector, in the case of a dynamic ReLU, well, it's defined as the maximum of multiple k linear functions. Uh, And so the output, which is the f of theta of x, is the maximum of different linear functions, where, you know, the linear function is, the straight line is, is defined as ax plus b, right, where a is the slope and b is the bias right or the intercept and so if you think of that as a linear function which is in fact a linear function ax plus b now think of k linear functions and you take the maximum of those and so in fact you're not taking the maximum between zero and x but you're taking the maximum between and certain numbers of uh, linear functions all linear functions are composed by the two linear coefficients in this case, A and B. But of course, you have K of these pairs, as many as linear functions you are considering for your particular uh, activation function, right? So this is it. (laughs) That's as simple as that, is a number of linear functions. And that's why when we look at the results, it's something that is really stunning and really worth mentioning. Results are great in terms of performance. And so if you make a straight comparison between the traditional RELU and the dynamic RELU you usually find for different network architectures, of course, in different data sets as well, but in different benchmarks has been shown how you have you can have an increase in performance between 3-4% to up to 6%. Now 6% is a great deal, especially when you deal with the you know medical images or uh, in autonomous vehicle domain. Well 6% is a lot or can be really substantial. There are, of course, different variations of dynamic ReLU, but uh, I will put them out of the scope of this episode because it, it gets very technical here. And uh, for that, I really recommend to have a read of uh, the uh, academic paper that has been published and reported in the show notes at datascienceatome.com. When we look at the uh, computational complexity there is also a great deal uh, in terms of complexity compared to a one-by-one convolution. The dynamic relay is cheaper by an order of magnitude when the convolution has a complexity that is quadratic with respect to the number of channels of the input. And so the channels of the input, in fact, the one of the and dimensions of your input. So if you're dealing with, for example, um, 3D matrices, you have like uh, a three-dimensional input like uh, with three-dimensional like C, H, and W. And so uh, where C could be, for example, the number of channels and the high and weight. And so think about images. And so if you have something in a one-by-one convolution with a complexity uh, that is C square HW, so quadratic with respect to number of channels, you get a cheaper... Uh, computational complexity by one order of magnitude when you use a dynamic reload. so that's great now if you want to put things in perspective you have approximately a five percent increase in floating point operations uh which is the number of operations run by a cpu in performing whatever you know training uh process we are dealing with and you get only 5% that's a great because if you get let's say 5% improvement in in performance improvement and you have to pay a cost of uh, uh 5% more uh, float, floating point operation or flops well that's good i think that's good Consider the fact that whenever you want to optimize or improve a neural network, you usually deal with the architecture, deal with the number of neurons, deal with the number of layers. And this, of course, can improve a lot your your, your performance, but at the same time can also affect quite consistently, the overall computational complexity, and of course, the time that it needs for you to train that neural network. So if you are moving from, let's say, a a five-layer neural network to a 15-layer neural network, of course, probably, it's very likely that the neural network is going to perform much, much better than the first, but the the cost that you have to pay to get that uh, increase in performance is going to be definitely more than linear with respect to the performance that you obtain. And so that's why I decided to speak about this dynamic ReLU because it's something that uh, is definitely worth trying. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Of course, you will find everything online on my website, datascienceatome.com. Also, don't forget to jump on the channel on Discord. We have a channel that we use for proposing new episodes or even discussing uh, the previous ones. You can come and uh, definitely give us your feedback and uh, propose, you know, the next subject or topic you would like to be uh, discussed in the next episode. Or why not even participate to one of the episodes at datascienceatom.com. You will find the coordinate to join the Discord channel at the usual site, dherasanstan.com but you can also download this podcast from uh, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify. Oh yeah, we are on Spotify as well. Didn't you know that? All right. I'll close the episode here. Don't forget to stay home and stay safe. This is a tough period for everyone, but take this as an opportunity to learn new stuff, to listen to amazing episodes. And even this one, but not only this one, there are many shows out there, technical people, non-technical people that are sharing their skills on, on the internet. This is a great time to learn don't throw this opportunity and stay home and and just die on your couch and watch Netflix. I mean, watch Netflix, that's good. But just learn. It's the best time to learn and uh, really give some time to all those things that you have been uh, far away because you didn't have the time, you do now. Or think about your family, stay with them. This is a great opportunity to be all together at home. And uh, yeah, I know sometimes it can get annoying, but uh, hey, this is not gonna last forever, right? So let's learn all from this. Take the opportunity, stay home, stay safe. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.